Good morning. Thank you for being here. Those of you joining us online, we see you. Thank you for joining us. That did not sound right. We don't see you. We, we know you're there, all right? Anyhow, thank you for, for joining us this morning. Um, if, if we haven't met yet, my name is Nathan, and I get to, and I stress get to, be the pastor here at West Bowles. And so we appreciate that you've chosen to spend this time leading up to Christmas with us. Well, we are, as you can tell, um, a few weeks into this series, A Kingdom for Christmas. And I can think of no better place to start than uh, my, what, what I thought was a kingdom for me this week that just, uh, it miserably failed. So Thursday morning, uh, the elementary school that a couple of our kids go to, uh, they have this program that you may have heard of. It's called Watchdog Dads. Okay, and so different dads will sign up and they'll go help out at the school, whatever that looks like. You could be walking the grounds, uh, you could be helping with papers, you could be delivering things to kids. Um, and so Thursday was just a slow day. I mean, I had, the, I had the mind-boggling task of trying to read some second graders' handwriting and put the right paper in the right folder. And um, after, I don't know, four hours of that for 15 kids, I finally figured it out. And so... Anyhow, finally got to lunchtime. I had eaten lunch with my son, eaten with my daughter. Well, it's recess. And we, I, I'm just looking across the playground at recess, and I was like, you know, where should I, where should, where should I be right now? And I, can, I see out in the field this group of boys, and you just know, once you've been through it enough times, these guys are picking teams for football. And I look over, I'm like, that's where I'm going. So I get over there, and you've got like, these, these boys lined up across from these others, and I said, hey, what's going on, guys? Um, can I play? And they said, oh, sure, we're picking teams. And then these two kids standing off to the side, they said, we're the last ones picked every time. And I was like, oh, my, my underdog heart just went out to them, because that was me in elementary school. And, and so I was thinking, I'm going to get picked last today. Well, I finally looked at them, and I went, you know what, let's... Let me join your team. So I looked at these two underdogs that always get picked last, and I said, it's us. We're a team today. And these other boys are like, we are going to school you guys. We've beaten these guys every day of this year. And at that point, that hit a switch inside of me. And uh, I decided I don't care how old these kids are or young. I am playing as hard as I can today. And I'm not letting these underdogs down. So... You know how football goes in elementary school. Um, guys, you might remember this. Whoever's quarterback doesn't throw the ball. They just call a QB sneak for themselves every play of the game. And so this kid on the other team, I mean, he's feeling good, and he doesn't recognize it yet, but I do. I was like, that's pride. That's totally pride, and I'm about to humble you, okay? So he's calling a QB sneak. He's calling his number every single play. And finally I said, okay. Luke, not his real name, just in case he ever tunes in here. Luke, um, he, I said, guys, Luke's going to sneak the ball. And they were like, how would you know? And I was like, well, it's, it's crazy. You, just, you see patterns after a while. So Luke heard me say that, and I meant for Luke to hear me to say that, so that Luke would do what? He'd throw the ball. Yeah, you make him do something different. So I, like, backpedaled because I'm in zone defense because I'm taking this way too seriously. And... <laughs> Luke throws the ball, and I intercepted it, and I ran end zone to end zone. I didn't even look back. I ran as fast as I have ever run. Yeah, we won the game. We won. 
No, here's the best part. I got the, to the end zone. I turned around, and one of the kids on the other team who's won every game of the year, he's crying. It was perfect, okay? It was amazing. And I didn't say it, but I was thinking, you sit there and cry. You cry. Merry Christmas, okay? So, <clears throat> anyhow. So, I'm sitting here, you know, like walking around. Whole school's going to hear about this, you know. I mean, kids are going to go back to their classrooms. They're going to megaphone this down the hallway. And, and right, as, right as my pride is rising up, and, and I'm feeling all this greatness inside, one of the kids we're playing football with decided, well, I quit football because we have our first loss of the year, you baby. Anyway, so he goes over, and he finds these kids that are playing tag, and it was a group of boys and girls playing tag. And he goes over, and he's like, girls, you should chase him. He's so fast, points at me. And I'm thinking, words already getting around. I am fast. And this girl looks at me, and she's like, gross. And immediately, like, whatever ego inflation I had was just popped and gone. And so I begin there, because for, for, a, for not even a day, but half a day, I, I felt like I got to be king. And, and part of what we've been talking about for the last couple weeks is this idea that at Christmas, when Jesus showed up, we received a savior, but we received a king. And we received, really, it was the inauguration of a different kind of kingdom than we're used to. God's kingdom. And when God's kingdom showed up here on earth, as you read in scripture, as we, as we continue through Matthew chapter 2, and we look at Matthew chapter 2, what you see is that God's kingdom actually landed in the middle of a human kingdom, ruled by a human king by the name of King Herod that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Now, excuse me, King Herod was, was when you encounter Herod in scripture, you, you got to know that that's not just one guy. Herod was actually a family name. And so as you look through scripture, you'll run into people like Herod Antipas, Herod Archelaus, Herod the Tetrarch. But this Herod, maybe you know this, this Herod was one who, who has been known by historians as Herod the Great. In fact, nine times in Matthew chapter 2, Herod is referenced. And it doesn't say the great, but history knows him as Herod the Great. And he was great. In fact, when you look at the things he did and the relationships he established, there, he, he really did some incredibly great things in human eyes. His political prowess. In fact, in, in 31 BC, Rome engaged in a civil war. And you had Mark Antony is leading the charge against Augustus. And uh, Herod the Great had decided to side with Mark Antony. Well, that whole side just went down in defeat. And so Herod, realizing that he's lost some leverage now with the people who won the battle, goes to Augustus. And he basically apologizes to him and hopes for a shot at redemption. And Augustus gives it to him. And so he says, Herod, I'm going to give you another chance. You're king of Judea. And as Herod got this next chance, Herod engaged in a building campaign. In fact, we now know the stuff that he built and the architecture that he put up and created and put in place, his Herodian architecture. And he was brilliant at what he did, but he would mix some styles and he'd begin to get this Roman influence in there as if to appease the Romans. Even though he's this, he's this king in Judea, he's trying to appease the Romans. And so he'd build these buildings that were basically a tribute to their gods, to the ones that they worshipped. 
Now, on top of it, Herod did this incredible thing that it took, it took us centuries to figure out what he did. Herod built an entire, basically, harbor underwater. He, he, was, he was able to figure out how to work with underwater cement made from different materials. And it took centuries for us to figure out what he did. Hence, historians refer to him as Herod the Great. Now, let me come to us for a minute, and we'll go back to Herod. Herod the Great, think about that. We could probably substitute our names, couldn't we? I mean, just think about it. Nate the Great. Nathan the Greathan. Nathaniel the Greathaniel. I could do this all day, okay? But you could too. Because all of us have found those reasons to look around and go, I'm so great. I am so awesome. I beat a bunch of elementary school kids at football at recess. And you're thinking, wow, Nathan, good job. You beat fifth graders at football. Correction, they were second graders, okay? So, but we will all find ways to think of ourselves as great, won't we? Because inside every single one of us, there is a longing for greatness. There's a longing for greatness. You want to be fulfilled. You want to be adored. You want to have an impact. You want to leave a legacy. And so do I. But here's the problem with great. The problem with great is that what makes great people unbeatable in some areas of life, it can make them unbearable in others. And great turns out to be not so great. In fact, let me just ask you, how do we remember Herod the Great? I mean, there were the political relationships and there was the architecture. There was the the whole underwater cement thing. But what do you remember Herod the Great for? The massacre of babies throughout Bethlehem. See, that's when great really isn't that great, is it? And so Christmas, when we come to the Christmas story, when God sent his son to this earth, you know what? A message was sent. And what the message that was sent is that there's actually something greater than great. And it is good. See, if there's one thing I want you to remember this morning, it's that good is greater than great. Now, I've got to drill down on that a little bit, obviously, but here's what I'm getting at. The goodness of God is greater than the greatness of human beings, isn't it? Now, I want to dive through that for a little bit, but the reason I can say that is because of three words we're going to camp out on in Matthew chapter 2, verse 19. You know how Matthew chapter 2, verse 19 begins? Just like this. After Herod died. Yeah, there's a Christmas verse for you right there, now that I got you all charged up. After Herod died. And from those three words, I want us to look at a few different insights. I mean, there's more to this verse, and we're going to get to it in a little bit here. But after Herod died tells us so much. And it doesn't just tell us about Herod. It tells us about that thing inside every single one of us that just longs to be great. And we think that is the epitome, that is, that is the highest point we could reach in this life. After Herod died. You know, you know what that would say to historians? After Herod the Great died. Now, the first insight that we learn from that is that human greatness will blind you to things that God's goodness will show you. Human greatness will blind you 
to some things that God's goodness will show you. And all you have to do is look at what went when King Herod died. Remember in, at the beginning of this series, Matthew chapter 2 at the beginning, we see Magi come up and they ask this question. This question is asked twice in Matthew chapter 2. Where? Where is the Messiah? The Magi want to know where the Messiah is. Later on, Herod looks around and he says, where is the Messiah? But there's a major difference in these two groups that are asking the same question, isn't there? See, one group wants to worship him, and one wants to do away with him. See, the tone of our hearts can, can, can look different and sound different depending on what we've got in mind when we ask that question. Can't it? See, when, when you and I look around and we say, where is God? And we're actually looking for signs and evidence of him. You know what that means? It means we've made him the main picture and we've put ourselves in the corner in the place that, that we can occupy. The truth is, you and I can't handle the big picture. That's too much responsibility for us. That's too much power for us. But there's another way of asking where, Izzy. It's the way Herod asked. And when Herod asked, where is the Messiah, you know what Herod was thinking? Herod made Herod the big picture. And he put God in the corner. Why? Because Herod continued to think he was so great, he had so much power, that nothing, nothing should get in his way of his greatness. This is why we said a couple months ago, you got to be leery of anybody who gives you such great news about yourself that you no longer feel you need the good news of the gospel. And this is exactly where Herod was. Sure, the cross hadn't happened yet, but the way Herod walked around was with a big picture view of himself. So Herod didn't think he needed anybody beyond himself. He didn't need anybody at all. After Herod died, you go on. And, and, and as you begin to look at it, you realize, and as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, it's very easy to say, thy kingdom come, and yet we can still trust in our political parties, our, our banks, our military, our institutions, you know, and when those things come up as the things that we trust in, then you know what we've done? We've put God in the corner. We've made ourselves the big picture. See, we can use the systems of this world, we just can't depend on them. And you know who knew this? Ironically, the ancient Romans knew this. See, oftentimes when Caesar would return and, and military generals would return from battle, I mean, there was all kinds of celebration, all kinds. And it was, it was really overdone, to be honest. And so what would happen is there would be a servant. There would be a servant riding with the Caesar. And they, their, their one job was to sit right next to him and whisper in their ear, Remember, you're only human. Remember, you're only human. Because see, that human greatness, what they understood, it could blind them. And these Roman emperors and rulers, they could make missteps because they were believing their own headlines. And they were believing all the celebration that was so overdone for them. And so the servant would whisper into their ear, remember, you're only human. Human greatness can blind us to things that God, God's goodness can show us. Insight number two. Human greatness is always, always a mist. 
It's temporary and it's fleeting. Now, there's something really interesting when you dive into the life of Herod the Great. There were three things that he really gave his energy to. One was adoration. You know that, that word, Herod the Great? You know where they believe it actually came from? Himself. They believe he actually asked people to call him Herod the Great. And so he'd put all kinds of energy into making sure he was seen as great in people's eyes. But the other thing he would do is he would expect tremendous, tremendous, tremendous adoration from people to the point that he would force it. In fact, when he realized he was about to die, you know what he did? He had all the nobles from the area brought in and he decided to order them executed so that there would be somebody who would be weeping and mourning and grieving at the time of his death. Not necessarily over him, but he wanted to make sure that there was no celebration in the area. Now, those, those who realized he was dying that would assume power, they decided not to go forward with this command. You know what actually happened after Herod died? Well, what would you do? They threw a party. And not the kind of party like, hey, we're going to see you again one day. It was like, he's gone. Hooray. That kind of party. But the third thing that he would really invest his energies into was his ability and his achievement. As we talked about the building earlier, he would pour into that over and over and over. And that's where I think we can all begin to relate to Herod a little bit. I mean, we think about how much we put how much emphasis we put on human ability and achievement. And yet, it's amazing as you look back how many things have been decided by something outside of human ability and achievement. Napoleon in 1812, you know what he did? He took his army into, his French army, he took them into Russia. 680,000 troops he brought into Russia. And he had hoped to arrive in summer and be out of there by fall. But as things got prolonged, Napoleon's army got stranded in Russia into the winter months. And as the Russian winter took hold, there was no ability. There was no military prowess. There was no achievement of Napoleon's that could hold up. And this man who brought 680,000 troops into Russia, you know how many he left with? 27,000. 27,000. Napoleon's regarded as one of the greatest military uh, strategists of all time. And yet nothing, none of that ability, none of that achievement could help him at all. Now, we know this in more modern times. You remember when Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile? Four minutes to run a mile. I can barely drive one in six, okay? Four minutes. And everybody thought that record would stand forever. And yet it wasn't long. People were running it in what? What's the record now? 320, Andre, you know. 346, okay. Andre's a runner. That's why I singled him out, okay? You, you've got Carl Lewis. Remember when he ran the 100 meters in 10 seconds? And people thought, nobody's going to break that record. And then Usain Bolt came along. And he ran it in like two. It was amazing, okay? Just this last week, Steph Curry. You know, nobody thought anybody would break this NBA three-point record. Ray Allen, he's made 2,973 three-pointers in his career. The other night, Steph Curry hit his 2,974th, and he did it in five years less time than Ray Allen. You see why human greatness is a mist? We're here briefly, and then we're gone. But there's a couple other insights, and not so much about ourselves, but about our Heavenly Father that we get from this. 
God's goodness outlasts, outmaneuvers, and outperforms all human greatness. God's goodness can outlast, outmaneuver, and outperform any and all human greatness. All you have to do is read through Matthew chapter 2, and you just notice the things that God is doing in the background. You know, you got Herod, who's like trying so hard to hang on to his crown and to have this influence and make people submit to him and do away with anything that would threaten his power. And, and have you noticed what's happening in the background? There's a star guiding some wise men. And then you get dreams. You know, people are getting warned in dreams. This is stuff Herod knows nothing about. Along with Matthew, throughout Matthew chapter 2, there's just time passing. See, the stars, they belong to God. Those dreams, they belong to God. Time, it sits in God's hands. And then above all of it, God's word. God's word, these prophecies from centuries before are being fulfilled. And they're being carried out. See, God, he's a patient God. He can wait. He can wait. I was talking with my father-in-law the other day, this verse. There's this verse in scripture. To the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. Now, if you were to take that literally and do the math on that, do you know what the average human lifespan is in America? 79 years. As of 2019, it was 79 years of age. Now, if you were to just do the math, what you'd find out, because I decided to do the math on my trusty spreadsheet, is that if a day is like a thousand years, that means like each hour would be like 41.67 years to the Lord. And if you were to do the math on the average human lifespan, you know what your lifetime is like to the Lord? One hour, 53 minutes, 45 seconds. Yeah, you're like a movie to him. You're like two-thirds of Lord of the Rings. No, not even two-thirds. That's like a tenth of the Lord of the Rings, to be honest. You're a few episodes of your favorite show. That's what it's like to him. Because, see, God sits outside all of our notions of human greatness, all our measures of it. There's a, uh, I came across an interesting quote the other day by a name, <clears throat> excuse me, a man named Scott Hazelton. He said, in To Kill a Mockingbird, one thing that you as a reader are convinced of as much as anything else is that this novel's hero, Atticus Finch, is the epitome of a good man. But not once in the course of the entire novel do you ever encounter the line, Atticus was a good man. Harper Lee never once told her readers that Atticus was good. Instead, in scene after scene, she showed her readers. She showed her readers his goodness in the background. See, that's exactly how God's goodness works. It sits there in the background, and whether we're aware of it or not, it's there. Now, these first three insights is kind of sobering, isn't it? I mean, you feeling about this big right now? Okay, that wasn't the goal, but Merry Christmas. You know, it, it's just you, you read Matthew 2 and you think, oh my goodness, if that's what it did to Herod, like what hope do any of us have? But see, it brings us to this fourth insight about our Heavenly Father. That the goodness of God is that he already established your greatness and my greatness. The goodness of God is that he already established our greatness. Before we ever came to be, he established that you were great in his eyes. And this was very convicting for me because multiple times, and I think this is, you know, this probably sits in all of us, but especially men, 
It's very easy to go here. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to do something that's going to be remembered and, and have an impact and, and be adored and all these things. But I remember thinking one time, Lord, I want to do something great. I want to be something great. And I was so convicted because as I sat, as I thought, as I wrote some things down, I realized, <laughs> great, Nathan? The Alpha and the Omega of the entire universe knows your name. The creator of all space and time wired you together and knows exactly what you're about and prepared good works for you in advance. You want to be great? Whose acknowledgement? What earthly acknowledgement is going to give you that? And the answer is nothing. But when we lose sight of that, you know what we start to do? We start to move from God's definition of greatness to our definition. And we begin to forget what the rest of Matthew chapter 2, verse 19, all the way into verse 23, points at. Read this with me. After, <clears throat> excuse me, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus, this is another Herod, Herod Archelaus, was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled, did you catch that? In other words, God meant for this. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Do you know how great you are to him? You're so great that a bloodthirsty tyrant who happened to be in power when Jesus showed up here on earth, not even that would stop God from accomplishing his mission. That's how great God thinks you are because that mission was to redeem you and to redeem me. And so what started at the manger ended up right there. No, I usually point over there because there's a cross over there. But it ended at a cross, didn't it? Because that's how great. God looked ahead and said, you and me, all of us are. Before you had a name, he said, they're so great. And sin has so tainted them that I will stop at nothing and nothing will stop me from redeeming them. You know, you think about names, and, and it's interesting. My, my wife used to work at Littleton Hospital on the mom-baby floor, and so she'd get, to like, she'd get to hear what these new moms and new dads would name their kids. And it's amazing what, what some of the things are that people would name their children. But among them, I, I thought of this just the other day, she, I remember she came home from a shift one morning, and she said, Nathan, I can't tell you the last name. You know, I don't want to violate any, any uh, regulations or anything. But guess what these people named their twin boy and girl? I was like, I, I, I don't know. There's a lot to choose from, okay? And king and queen. King and queen. And I thought, wow. I mean, what were they? At least they tried. You know, it's as if we think if we get the name, we get a title, we accomplish enough, we achieve enough, that then our greatness will be established. You know, Elon Musk took this even, even further. Last May, May of 2020, 
I don't know if you're familiar with Elon Musk, you know, the founder of Tesla. He's a brilliant guy. But look at, I don't even know if I can pronounce this. Look what they named their kid. It'll be up on screen. That's the name of their child right there. X, Ash, I think they said is how you pronounce that, A12. And when they were asked what that means, they said, well, the X is for the unknown variable. That AE combination pronounced Ash is for artificial intelligence. And the A12 is the super fast jet that we like. And I thought, that poor kid. He's not going to outrun me at recess, I'll tell you that much. Okay? But you know what? Before you had a name, God knew you. God planned for you. God knit you together. That's how great he thought you were. Now, if that doesn't sink in, if, if, if you don't trust that, that his goodness is truly better than any human greatness, if you can't get there, then you know what? Our lives probably look a lot like Herod. He was savvy, but not really wise. You know, and, and he, he made an impact, but it wasn't very lasting. And he was remembered, but hopefully never to be repeated. And he had this level of greatness given to him by humans that just never really flowed out of God's goodness. And so we should ask ourselves some questions. You know, before we run out these doors and try to do anything great, we may have to sit with this a little bit. We may have to look around and say, gosh, what, what am I trying to measure in this life? How do I measure myself? You know, what am I investing in? What am I investing my time, this life, into? You know, what, what is my notion of greatness? This is like mowing the lawn, that first line. You know, if you don't get that first line straight, every line after that is off. And this is the thing that happened at Christmas. Christmas is when God looked at us and he said, you know what? I'm just going to send a reminder right now of what I already think of you. One story and I'm done. So, Friday morning, we take our, our youngest two kids to the elementary school. And our son, Lincoln, he runs up and he stands in line to go into the second grade classroom area. And right in front of him in line are the two boys that I was teammates with on Thursday. So, I mean, you know how I walked up. What's up, boys? You know, it's Andrew and Zeke. Okay, so I said hi to Andrew and Zeke. And uh, just to humble me a little bit further, one of them looked at me and he's like, who are you? I was like, well, you know, remember the game yesterday? And they went, oh, yeah. And then what one of them said next? I heard it and I thought, that that would preach a sermon right there. You know what he said? It wasn't, we won the game. It wasn't, wow, what an interception return for a touchdown, Nathan. You know what he said? Oh, yeah, our football game. When we got picked. When we got picked. You know what happened at Christmas? God picked us. Not because of our greatness. Because of his goodness. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you and for all the running around we do, trying to pursue greatness and, and define greatness and just be great in the eyes of all those around us, Lord, we're reminded 
that even greater than great is good. That we can see your character with just three words of one verse in scripture, that you are good. No matter what human greatness surrounds us, maybe opposes us, um, whatever it is, whatever we accomplish, Lord, remind us that it is nothing. As Paul said, it's, it's garbage compared to your love and your good, good character. And so remind us of that as we approach Christmas Eve. Remind us that even Herod, even Herod, you could use his life to gain glory from and to show us your character. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll